that's one thing that, that's unique to post offices is considered fee simple, meaning it's when you buy the post office, you are buying exactly what you said, land building. And you're the best part about it, and this is going to the pros and cons of real of post office investing. Basically, it's you're renting to the government. You know, that's your your tenant, they they will not default. The government is backing them. And so I consider it a very safe investment, or at least a, a safe uh, investment, but also a safe tenant. It's typically five-year leases. And in the five years, it uh, usually increases, but for each year. So five years is great. You don't have to worry about having a dark post office. And it's backed by the government, like I said. And I would say the unique thing about the post office thing is that when you're underwriting a deal, or you're considering a post office, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's kind of easy because everything's laid out in the lease. Are you interested in learning more about owning your own portfolio cash flowing rentals? If so, we invite you to take our free mini course, the Crash Course in Cash Flowing Rentals. When you take our mini course, you'll learn the strategies we use to build our portfolio. You'll also get to see several of our students featured who have successfully built their own portfolios as well. To take our crash course, link to semiretiredmd.com forward slash mini course, M-I-N-I dash C-O-U-R-S-E, or visit our website at semiretiredmd.com and link to the crash course on cash flowing rentals there. You may also want to join a waitlist for our introductory course, Zero to Freedom Through Cash Flowing Rentals, while you're at our website too. We'll see you there. This episode is sponsored by our brand new course called Fast Fire Bookkeeping for Real Estate Investors. Do you have a pile of receipts and a bunch of statements that are stacking up in your office and the pile isn't getting any smaller? Are your rental properties getting you closer to financial freedom? Do you even know how your properties are performing? Well, the answer to your problem is doing your books the right way, and that's what our course is about. We'll teach you how to set up your books the right way, not just for tax time, but also so you can unlock the insights that will help you maximize your cash flow. For more information or to sign up, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash fastfire bookkeeping. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Welcome to another episode of Doctors Building Wealth Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, George Huang, uh, joining us, also known as Dr. Chaucer. Hey, George, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you guys. Yeah, so I ran into George at a conference a couple months ago, and he was telling me about his post office investing. So we really wanted to have him on here to kind of teach some of the people in our community about post office investing. And so, George, why don't we start out by telling everyone about your journey, how you became a physician, and then we'll talk afterwards about your real estate journey. Absolutely. So I grew up in Florida. And moved to Washington D.C. for uh, for undergrad, and I've been in D.C. ever since. So the past twenty years, uh, I'm an anesthesiologist by training, and yeah, I've been at Georgetown University for yeah the past really, really the past twenty years. I went to undergrad, med school, residency. So I'm what they call a lifer. Um, never thought I would 
be one of those, but here I am in DC and I actually love the city. So it's great. I know you guys have spent some time in DC as well. So know the area very well. A lot of my real estate is in the area, but some of it's also remote, the post offices, which we'll talk about. I'm a father of two, got a, a five and a seven-year-old daughter. I'm a, I'm also a divorce doc, which is somehow been like, I've been known as a divorce doc and my fiance tells me you've got to get out of that, out of that, uh, that role, which I told her, you know, maybe I, I, I'm the divorce doc that makes since she's a fiance. Now I be called, I can be called like the recovered divorce doc. And, <laughs> you know, so that it's not just, you know, you can find happiness and success even afterwards. And I think she liked that better anyway, <laughs> um, but I've given a few talks on that and, um, and, um, but anyway, it's, uh, it's, that's more to underscore the fact that the, uh, the journey is not always straightforward and there's lots of paths to, 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 to financial freedom or wherever it is you want. And so, uh, that's my background in the, in a nutshell. Yeah. So I think you're, you know, I, I feel the same way that the line is always not straight. I'm actually divorced as well. And so I don't know how many people know that. And then I have a stepdaughter, Kenji's daughter is 18. And so we have a mixed family. And I think it's it's actually one of the most, most normal things now is to have that mixed family. So um, I know that part of what that brings is, is different perspectives. So how has that effect affected your journey through real estate investing? You know, it's, it's, well, on a, on a very basic level, uh, you know, going through a divorce really, well, it was top of the finances. That's like the, what's the elephant in the room. So that for sure is, uh, is probably the most significant thing that you go through. I mean, of course there's the emotional toll that it takes you. And it's huge. That's probably, I mean, that's the biggest, I would say that's the biggest part. It's changing your mindset, getting yourself out of this, this, um, this mindset that you just can't recover, which, you know, you know, it's maybe easier for somebody that's early on in divorce. You know, I was seven years in, maybe harder for somebody that's 30 years in, which some listeners may be in when, if you're uh, near retirement age, but taking the emotional part of it out, which is a big part, the financial part, that's the biggest thing is, you know, potentially there's child support, potentially there's alimony. And, and in my case, it was more of the child support. And so just, and then also marital assets being halved. Um, I wasn't planning to go into the details of this, but that's a huge part. And if that's it happened, you think, okay, well, what can I do? To, what, how can I possibly invest when my net worth has been halved or a cut in a third or whatever it is? And so that's the biggest challenge is just figuring out how, how to kind of go forward if real estate is part of your, uh, of what you want to do. Cause a lot of times real estate, as you, as most people know in this podcast, you have to, you, you don't have to, but if you have capital available, that's uh, that's well, that's one way to do it. Well, uh, one way that I've done it is just taking some money out of my taxable account. So, not necessarily my retirement account, but just my other savings or my other investments. Or, in more recently, you know, doing other creative ways of financing, whether it's through a HELOC or something like that. Um, so, there's lots of ways to do it, and it's uh, uh, getting out of that mindset that you just can't do it. Uh, I think is probably the most important thing coming off of the divorce. Yeah, we actually, I, I can think of one student who had posted her introduction recently, who had just come out of a divorce and was kind of saying what a big toll that had taken on her financially. And I remember when I reached the point that I was like equivalent to financially to where I had been before my divorce and how much of an accomplishment it meant and felt yeah. like. So so it's, it's a really big deal financially as well as emotionally. And um, I think that's really great that you're able to talk about it and normalize it for a lot of listeners 
listeners who have been through this. And I know there are a lot. So let's talk a little bit about your rock star MD part. (laughs) Let's talk about your previous life. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so I, I like talking about it because, well, first of all, I have a podcast called Rockstar MD, which highlights docs that are doing extraordinary things um, and uh, either, either real estate or just other passions. And so the reason I call it Rockstar, the reason I felt kind of validated in saying that is because in the past, I used to be in a touring band um, called Crash Boom Bang. We used to tour across the country. We opened up for uh, Play My Tease, Fall Out Boy, um, Gin Blossoms. Um, and just did some really cool things. And I did this during med school, which is insane. Um, you know, I would, I would be touring or traveling or writing in the studio. And, um, and then at the same time I'd be in the van or bus, you know, looking at med med school lectures and flying back to do the exams that that time it was like every month I had to come back. So it was a crazy lifestyle. And, um, I think about, I think I do think about how I, that was done. I think I just didn't sleep much, a lot of Red Bull and a lot of motivation. I, I, I just, I think, you know, when you're passionate about certain things, you know, medicine, you just, or, or other things, you just kind of go for it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, you just find another gear. Yeah. You, you can do what's your priority. Right. And, and now that's yeah. probably paying dividends when you're juggling a job, family, and then also real estate. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, so that's my past. I, I transitioned from doing that when I love playing live, I transitioned from that to doing songwriting production. Um, and then now I do stuff. Uh, it seems totally random. I know this is real estate, but, um, but now I, I help with a company in China that my former manager uh, started a company and we, you know, how there's K-pop like BTS, like, mm-hmm. the, like my kids are obsessed with them, but I, I help develop um, Chinese pop or C-pop artists. And so I find songs for them and then they put it out and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. I love that. Yeah. No, I mean, this podcast is doctors building wealth. So there's a lot of different ways to build wealth. And we really wanted to feature not just real estate stories, but also um, people who are doing lots of different things. So that's awesome. Um, I'm so curious, like during medical school, because I had a similar experience, uh, not similar, it it was different. Um, But I was also doing a lot of different things during medical school. Uh, and so I'm curious what the other students and maybe even your professors thought about all this. Uh, were they on board? Was was there criticism? Uh, what was your experience? You know, um, it's funny you mentioned that because even though I try to keep it on the DL a little bit, I didn't, I didn't want my professors or, you know, when I was in residency, I was still doing it a little bit. You know, I, I, I really kept it hush-hush because I didn't want... I don't want to talk about it with my professors necessarily, and maybe it's not the right approach, but I think the student, other students or my colleagues would tell them. And so eventually everybody knew it wasn't, there was no surprise about it, but, um, but yeah, I think the student, some, some people were definitely like, uh, there were some haters for sure. You know, like, uh, like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you doing this? And, but, you know, I, I just, I was like so motivated. I just didn't even think about it. I just, I just kind of kept going and, um, you know, professors, they didn't know what he really, they didn't really say, oh, you can't do this or anything like that. As long as I was doing fine. And, and that wasn't like a, I wasn't like the top of my class by any means, but you know, I, I was right in the middle that that was, that served me fine. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it, it was interesting. It, 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 the, the funniest part would be when, uh, one of the, one of my attendings or, uh, professors would, would, would come up to me and, 
show me my like a music video it was mine and i'm like oh gosh okay you know uh, or they'll play like an or like while the surgery is going on i'm like oh God. Okay. <laughs> so there are videos out there we could google there are yeah there are absolutely. <laughs> okay <laughs> don't judge me it's a different time no actually it's it's, it's, it's awesome <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about real estate. How did real estate get added to this mix? Yeah, so, you know, a long time ago, my dad uh, actually gave me a rich dad, poor dad, but I didn't read it. <laughs> I didn't read it. He, I was like, dad, what are you, why are you giving me this? I have enough stuff on my plate. But he was in real estate. He owned, you know, he, he immigrated from Taiwan. He had an apartment complex in Tampa. And you know, his approach was different, but now that I'm looking back on, I'm like, wow, this was crazy that he did this. It's a, you know, multi, like several, I think it was like 20 something units, not huge, but big enough doing it on his own every Saturday, he Saturday, he'd go out there. And so in a way that was like already kind of instilled in me, but without me like knowing it, that I wanted to do it. But I think the one thing that I got out of it was that this is probably a good thing to do. And that it should be part of my portfolio of like, whatever that should be whatever that's going to look like. And so fast forward to, uh, attending life, you know, I did the whole, I mean, I mean, I started out with Bitcoin investor. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm like all, all about doing the, 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 the waterfall, whatever they call it, you know, do your 401k, do your backdoor Roth taxable for, you know, all that stuff. And, so I did that for a while, but then I realized like, I, I really got to get real estate in there. And like, for me, REITs just weren't like, I don't know, it wasn't like enough for me. So uh, I wanted to do something that was more active, something that I had more control over or maybe not even control over, but just another way of doing it. And, and so I went from wanting to do it, it was super intimidated and I was like wondering how am I going to do this myself? There's just no way I'm a brand new attending. I still paying off debts, student debts. And so, um, so what I did is actually my first introduction to real estate was actually partnering with my next door neighbor. So he was a, or he is a, uh, he does commercial real estate for a living and he kind of wanted, he knew that I was interested in real estate. And so he asked if I want to be a part of this really small syndication, really three people. And he, uh, and so we started doing some uh, some row, ho- row homes in Baltimore. So that's how I got started, 2017, 2018, fresh off divorce. And, start, and uh, basically I, I liquidated, I liquidated some, not my, uh, didn't liquidate, I just sold some of my, some of my um, st- stocks in uh, taxable. And I was like, I just got to go for it. And started from there. Now, now, I'm, now that started, so we're about three row homes currently. That's what we started out with, three row homes in a span of two years. Wow, was that uh, was that a flip? Were you flipping those, or were you buying and then holding them and renting them out? Yeah, buy, hold, rent. Yeah, in in uh, in the Baltimore area um, near Johns Hopkins, and so yeah, we basically, you know, it's funny because you know I took your course, so um, shout out, shout out to 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 that that course. Uh, but going through the course and looking back, I'm like, wow, we did a lot of those, not exactly, but very close to the same principles, but yeah, it's, so we, we, we did a lot of value add. So we would go to specific row homes and we would look to see if there's an opportunity to create another bedroom downstairs, partition it off. And so 
that was part of our calculation for our cash on cash. What if we add another bedroom, for example? And so, so we we get down to the nitty gritty, and it's probably too in the weeds. But basically, we looked for <laughs> this is like the quick back of the napkin. You talk about that. We looked at row homes because they're so small in Baltimore. It basically, if it had like one, if it was one window, we'd be like, no, we can't do it. But if it had two windows, that usually means it was wide, meant it was wide enough, so yeah. you could add another bedroom on there. Yeah. So we, that was like our initial filter. It was literally just, does it have two windows? <laughs> And then if it had two windows, we, we just dug deeper and looked at the actual, um, you know, space. But, um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of our filter that, and then a specific region that was walking distance to the hospital for Johns Hopkins. So, uh, that was, that was our, that was our journey there. Um, a small syndicate, syndication. I love that because, uh, yeah, well, first of all, I, I went to Hopkins so I can envision. The, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> those row homes, uh, and, uh, walking distance out. There were a number of our, uh, of, of, of the students in my class who live like literally just a few blocks away. So I love that. But I'm so, I'm so curious when you were investing with a partner, like how, how did that go? And, 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 and what were some of the key lessons you learned from partnering with somebody? Yeah, that, that's, it's, that's a good question. And finding a partner is so important. And honestly, in this stage, I knew I wanted to get in the game. I knew, I mean, he was my neighbor, so I knew him for a while. I knew that he did this full time. And he pretty much acted like the sponsor of the group. I mean, a lot of the listeners know exactly what I'm talking about with these big syndications. But he, in a small scale, he was a sponsor because he, I trusted him a lot. There's a lot of, it wasn't a guy or, or a girl that I just randomly met on the internet or just got an ad on Facebook about, you know, this is somebody that was vetted just through personal experience. And I knew from talking with him that you know, very conservative on underwriting, I knew that he, and the, the principles that we came up with are basically if we can go to bed at night and not worry, if we can sat, sleep soundly at night with our investments, then uh, that was a good principle. You know, it's hard to say, oh, just go find the neighbor that <laughs> that's going to be uh, a good sponsor. I, I know that's not the takeaway, but that's how I came up, kind of stumbled upon it very coincidentally. But but yeah, we had an agreement, you know, we had an operating agreement. So uh, it's not just a handshake, you know, there's actually an agreement on there about splits um, you have to be super clear with that. And so I learned that. I mean, I learned this stuff also with the music stuff that I was doing. And, you know, in that world, it's like writing a song, you have to do splits, you know, who, how do you split a song? Kind of the same way. How do you split a song? How do you split a rental rent? How are you going to account for your future cash flow? Just like for a song, you know, through, um, you know, there's going to be in a commercial, you get money from that. How do you split that? Um, it's going to be streaming on Spotify. How are you going to split that? Same thing with the, with the house. So I had an idea going in that you had to be super clear on all this stuff. And so finding a partner is so important because this could be a long, you know, it's not a flip. It's not going to be a one-year relationship. This is a 10-year relationship and uh, potentially 10-year, you know, it could be longer or it could be shorter, but, um, you know, as a buy and hold, what if, what if I'm like, oh, I want to sell this uh, next year? Is are you going to be on board with that? <laughs> is the whole group going to be on board with that? And what's going to happen there? So you know, we talked about all those things. And I think that's got to be uh, something that's really important for anybody you go into business with. It's somebody you want to spend time with. You know, if, if, they're, if they're annoying or have something that you have red flags about, more likely not a good idea. Wow. Those are some amazing lessons about partnerships and uh, some things that we've definitely highlighted in, in past episodes as well. Kind of like laying out those agreements, discussing what could happen. I mean, you talked about uh, what if you needed to sell? Well, what if you got divorced and you needed to sell, right? These things can happen. And so definitely important to think through. And I love how you incorporated you know, your past experiences with music. Uh, that's such a great 
example of a, of a, of a long-term partnership and making those splits clear. I, I have to ask, uh, is your music on Spotify? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> still there. Okay. Crash, boom, bang. It's all there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So tell us, uh, where did you go from there? What was your, what was your next step after uh, investing in those syndications with your partner? Yeah. So the next steps were, you know, we were talking about what other ways can we diversify and uh, we wanted to do something in the commercial space. You know, we talked about doing multifamily, doing, uh, doing, doing something. Um, yeah. It, basically four units or more or, or something like, uh, you know, whether Walgreens or whatever. And so we came upon post offices, which is to me, when I first, even we first started talking about, it, I was like, are this like the penny stocks of like, like, what, what, what is this? What is this thing that we're looking at? And in a way it kind of is, it's a very small demographic of people. And so we kind of explored it. And my partner, my business partner really dug deep into it. He actually visited a few. I went with them on a few visits and um, it's not glamorous by any means. Like you're like, it's not, you know, talking about being a sexy investment. It's not, it's really, if I had pictures, I'd show you, but some of these, some of these places look very dingy, um, but there's lots of criteria to look at. Anyway, we can give that, go into that in a second, but basically that was the next transition point was like, okay, let's, let's try something that maybe not everybody else is doing. And, maybe we can find something really special there. And so that was our next step. And then we, over the course of the next two years, we closed on two post offices. One that was in Wisconsin, at middle of nowhere. And the one that was in Rhode Island, Providence. This week's podcast is sponsored by our course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals. Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals is a 10-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cashflowing rentals that will allow them to achieve financial freedom and work in medicine or their day jobs on their own terms. Our course is only open to registration twice a year, so be sure to get on the waitlist at semiretiredmd.com and check out the course details on our course landing page. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close a deal. Now, I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or a vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semiretiredmd at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. Awesome. Yeah. Tell, so see, I'd love to dig into this. So, yeah. so tell us, like when you're evaluating a post office, like what goes into that? What are you looking for? What's a good deal? Like, can you break that down for us? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's post offices are not unlike other, uh, other real estate. I mean, first of all, you get the same advantages as, as other real estate. So you get the depreciation, you get the appreciation, you get the write-offs for visits, uh, things like that. Um, but in terms of, of how you evaluate it, uh, there, it's there. There's some similarities to what for for other real estate, and also what you teach in your course. But basically, is it in a city that is hopefully not declining in population? Is it a is there some growth there? Um, is it is a post office? How long has a post office been there? 
-hmm. Is it entrenched as part of the community? And that's really important. Uh, you know, it depends on your goals too. If you want a big city in a major city, then uh, you know it's gonna be a higher price tag. It may be a little more turnover, but if you own a smaller city, it's gonna be more likely to be entrenched as part of the community, and it's a, a very a central hub. It's actually, if you think of like you know Main Street, you know that's it's gonna be on Main Street. Actually, one of them, the first post office, is actually on Main Street. Uh, the name of the street. So. You know, this is like going back to your decades ago where post offices were meant to be put in places where people have commerce. And so uh, is this so the question is, is this in a good foot traffic area, convenient for people? And is it um, and then also looking at things like a post office hours? Is it open all the time? Some post offices aren't open uh, seven, uh, six days a week. Some are only open for four hours. And so there's pros and cons to that. You know, uh, if it's four hours, you're there's going to be less wear and tear. That's a good thing. And then, but then it's, if it's on the con side, it's also, you know, maybe it's not as, not as useful for that community. It's a, there's a lot of things to look at, but I would say definitely geography is a big thing. And I want to clarify, you're buying the post office building, not the actual post office business, which continues to be run by somebody else. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So that's one thing I, that's unique to post offices is considered fee simple, Meaning it's you, you, when you buy the post office, you are buying exactly what you said, land building. And you're the best part about it. And this is going to the pros and cons of real of post office investing. Basically it's you're renting to the government. Like the government is going to, you know, that's your, your tenant. They, they will not default. Uh, the government is backing them. And so it, I consider it a, a very safe investment or at least a, a safe uh, investment, but also a safe tenant It's typically five-year leases. And in the five years, it's uh, usually uh, increases as time goes as but for each year. So five years is great. You don't have to worry about having a dark post office, and it's backed by the government. Like I said, it's also it's not quite triple net, which is I think the holy grail of any commercial deal. I would say it's double net, meaning that they cover all maintenance most of the time, or it's either all maintenance or partial maintenance. They don't cover insurance. And then I'm blinking on the other one. Uh, taxes. Taxes. They cover taxes. So, so basically, it's so a property taxes you pay up front, but then they will reimburse you. And and I would say the unique thing about the post office thing is that when you're underwriting a deal, or you're considering a post office. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's 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 kind of easy because everything is laid out in the lease. Like literally everything is laid out in the lease. It's very standard. All the leases kind of look the same. I mean, there are some variations. You can definitely. Uh, change it uh, uh, every time you renew every five years, but everything's in there. It's very spelled out. There's a maintenance writer and there's a tax writer, and it spells out when you should when you should uh, send them a notice to pay their taxes. But yeah, it's everything's in there, uh, and it's just up to you to decide how you want to tailor those leases the next time around and to increase your net operating income. And that's the name of the game. You want to just keep increasing that if you can while it's appreciating. What is a good return for a post office uh, when you kind of evaluate all the different options out there? What, what what would kind of make something go, okay, yeah, this is a good return? Yeah, a good return, it's, I would say 10%, kind of like what you teach in your course too. 10% is pretty, I would say at a baseline, 10% is pretty good. Uh, there are cases where you, uh, so, uh, so you kind of have to look at it. Too, uh, so 10%, it, I think 10 to 15% is great. I think that's when you, your ears should be perked up. You know, let's dive into this. I will say that our particular post offices, 
have had value add opportunities on there. One was already pre-existing. The one in, in Providence in Rhode Island had a diner already. So it was a split. It was a post office and a diner. And so that, you know, there's some complexities to that, but overall that adds to the cash flow and that makes it more attractive, I think. The other one, the value add for the, the Wisconsin one is we added there was space, there was a storage space above uh, the post office. So immediate, you know, we visited. It looked like it was something that could be inhabited. And so we just made some adjustments, put some like HVAC up there. And then we rented it out to a charity who they provide about a thousand extra dollars of income that was not previously there. So even though our cash on cash at the time was for that particular, it was 12%. Uh, given that it bumped it up significantly up to almost 20% cash on cash. So, so, you know, I would say on average, I wrote some of this out, but on average, I would say, yeah, the past two years we've gotten from anywhere from 13 to 22% cash on cash, which, um, which has been, I, I think, pretty good. Yeah, I love that it's you know really effectively recession proof, right? Because it, it is right. it is the government, and then it sounds like um, it sounds like instead of buying those freestanding post offices that are just the post office building, you're actually looking for post offices within a building that has other opportunities. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, and that's not all of them are like that. There are a lot that majority I would say are freestanding on their own, but the Sometimes I won't tell you that there's another piece to it. Uh, there's some like they didn't really. It wasn't explicitly set uh, stated that there was a diner attached. So we kind of had to dig in, and then we when we dug in like, oh, there's a diner, <laughs> and for whatever reason they didn't include that. So yeah, it's it, it it takes a little bit of digging, but even without that part, the cash on cash still kind of made sense. So that was just kind of a a nice bonus. Yeah, we've seen that with actually a lot of real estate that that the listings sometimes leave out really important details that are important to an investor. So we have one student who the there was an entire building in the back that was another unit that they forgot to put into the listing. And so his initial cash and cash calculations didn't reflect actually there was another unit, right, that the real estate agent left yeah. out. So that's really important to always be looking for, I think. Um, and sometimes you can't tell until the inspection. So I'm yeah. curious about risk. Tell me what's, um, I'm yeah. presuming the highest risk is really them moving out. And so how do you predict that? And are you only buying, you know, post offices that have four more years in the lease? Are you buying post offices that are in year five of the lease and, and you know, doing the calculations and saying, you know, odds are they're going to stay and I'm willing to take on this risk? It's typically, well, and the ones I've, I've done, it's, it's mid-lease. So at least there's guaranteed cash flow off the bat purchase it's it's already cash flowing checking you know there's something in your bank account so i would say that's the risk other risks are it's is really political so you know in terms of which administration is is there how they view or value post offices that's probably the biggest risk the other risk i'll get back to the the politics part of it because this is interesting actually but um the other the other part is just uh, it's hard to get comps on these things uh, on post offices. It's hard to tell what the if you're getting good value. And I say the biggest risk is that you're going to overpay uh, for a post office. And so the underwriting or just figuring out what a fair market value is, I think is the hardest part. I don't know if I have the secret sauce to that, but I, I, I we have our we have our spreadsheet that's that kind of indicates what we should be offering and what what a fair market would be based on cap rate. And so uh, I think that's the biggest risk. Now, in terms of the political part of it, the interesting thing about 
post offices is that there is actually an association, the AUSPL, which is the American United States Post Postal Lessers Association. And basically it's it's like you join in as a hundred bucks and you have a voice in Congress. You can actually talk to congressmen about oh, the post offices are valuable to the community, whatever it is that you want to it, basically you have a voice. It's actually you once you're in this small community, you can actually do some outreach and and be, get involved politically. You know, we went up to uh, I live in DC, so uh, it's, it's not so hard. But we could, you could actually go. Uh, there's actually meetings that you can set up with with people in Congress and basically lobby about like what the importance is. They also have an annual meeting, you know, different locations, and basically it's a way that you can meet people, other meet other real uh, post office owners, and see how they're operating. You can meet contractors there. You can meet people that will renegotiate leases. You. Know, for example, we're ready to renegotiate on one of our post offices. And usually you, you go out and consult somebody to renegotiate, somebody from the AUSPL. So anyway, it's it's an official community that is, I would say, somewhat politically charged and uh, active, I would say. So it's very interesting. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I'm curious, how do you find uh, these properties? Is there like an MLS or uh, something similar? There's a lot, yeah, there's a few, not a lot. There's a few ways, but you can either go to a realtor. There's some that specialize in just post offices. Uh, we just used LoopNet, which is um, one that I had not known before this, but how you look at it is one, one app that's used for commercial real estate. And so we just use that. And then you take out, and actually, if you do it that way, I like doing it that way because then you can cut out, then you can actually on your offer, initial offer, well, this is what we do at least, we, we cut out, you know, a certain percentage as part of our offer, knowing that we're doing it ourselves. So that's an advantage, I would say. Mm. Very yeah, cool. So you do it without the real estate agent. Right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about uh, tenant improvements. Uh, is uh, when you get a post office, uh, are, are you expected to do certain improvements or is it all on the tenant? Uh, is there a benefit to doing some improvements? Because I've, I've walked into some post offices and they're like, really not taken care of really nicely. And I would assume that that's the tenant's responsibility, but do you ever step in? Is there a role for you to step in as the owner to make these improvements? Yeah, totally. That's a great question. And that's definitely in the weeds for people that are getting into this because you're going to want to know, what are you responsible for? And that is laid out in the maintenance writer. It's it's um, it's about a two-page writer that's on there. But basically, post office owners are responsible for exterior work. So roof, um, there's a tank, there's a, not a septic tank, but there is, you are, you are responsible for septic if you have a septic tank. And so basically anything exterior roof, um, but the inside part you're not responsible for. Now you could say that, oh, you could do better at this. And so, uh, but most times the post, so you have a unique relationship with the postmaster, which is like your tenant, right? So uh, there's, there is some communication there. Uh, and, uh, you know, you could say that this could be looked better or whatever, and you kind of work with them and they can, and then you communicate, you collaborate and say, oh, that makes sense. Or it doesn't make sense. Uh, one thing we did was we just repainted the outside of our post office because it looked really dingy. <laughs> and so we repainted it um, and it looks a lot better now. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure if the return on that means that more people are coming to the post office, but it definitely looks better than people in the community. Definitely like it better. I, that, that, that part I've heard. Yeah. So it sounds like you're also self-managing, right? So that 10% yeah. cash on cash takes into account the fact that you are self-managing and, and that's usually really minor when you have a commercial space. Right. And so 
Yeah, when we talk about benefits of post office ownership, which we already touched upon how it's a relatively safe investment. The biggest thing it was for me was also the time involvement because you don't need a, a manager. You don't need property management. You can do this literally a few minutes a month. Like I'm not even joking. Some months like it's it's just so little that it's kind of you know that's when we talk about our 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 goals in life. It's, it's like you know you just want more time, and this definitely lends to that. So um, I would say that that's a huge benefit. Property management not necessary, um, you know. But every property is different. Some post offices may need some more TLC, but for the most part, it's pretty well known amongst the community. Don't need a property manager. Yeah, and it's it's so amazing. Kenji and I were recently at a Tony Robbins event, and we had somebody come talk to us about investing in post offices, and they're just doing syndications across the country in post offices. So there are a lot of people out there doing this, and I'm really grateful that you were here to kind of teach our physicians and our real estate investors about the benefits. And so they may consider something like this. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to, we're going to close here with uh, two questions that we ask all of our guests. And the first uh, question is, what is your definition of wealth? Oh, yeah. I knew this was coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think of wealth, to me, well, uh, time is so important, uh, especially coming from the perspective of a physician. And I would say I'm like hyper, I'm, I'm I feel like I'm hypersensitive to to that because of of well I'm still a, a full time anesthesiologist with weekend call that I'm actively trying to get rid of and and with uh, with split custody joint custody with with my my girls and so I'm just I think I'm just hypersensitive to how valuable time is just because it is really well parsed out and so I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to optimize my time and be mindful of what I spend my time on. So to me, wealth is, is having the time to do things that you're just passionate about without having the, with, without, with, with while having a roof over your head and not worrying where, where the next meal is going to come from. I know that sounds very um, rudimentary, but I think that's just, a, it's so important just to, to not have to worry about those basic things, but then also having the, the luxury of, spending time where you want it. Absolutely. Choice, choice to, mm-hmm. you know, spend your time the way you want to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that is so, so important to all of us because as you, as you do get older, you recognize it's time's the only thing you can't get back. Right. Yeah. So the second question is uh, what is one mindset habit or strategy that separates someone who is wealthy versus someone who is not? Yeah, I've got a few thoughts on this, but I'll try to go with the highest yield. I would say getting started is like the biggest thing you have to get started, but, but also not only just getting started, but I think, you know, especially in real estate, the best time to start is always yesterday. Um, but that doesn't mean to rush into things. I would say, for, especially in real estate, spend that six months really diving into reading about it, but not having your analysis paralysis. <laughs> so all these buzzwords that we've heard so many times, best time to start is yesterday, but, but really spend some time doing it and give yourself a few months. And then also once you're in the game, just know that it's not going to be smooth sailing and that it's also going to take time from there to actually see some results. And so it's this is by far not a get rich quick scheme. It's It takes time and, and, and effort. So I would say getting started, but be buckled up for the ride. And I think that's that's what separates a lot of people that I know at the doctor's lounge that are 
asking me questions about what I'm doing is they, they just don't get started. And I got started, but I made mistakes. I've lost money too. So um, I'm still learning. So um, that's, I think that's what separates and that's what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm striving towards. And then in terms of like other tips, um, you know, I, I like it. You didn't, I don't know if you asked me that, but I, I'll, I'll get some quick tips that I, I think help my mindset a lot. I really try to eliminate the phrase I'm too busy. So I, I try to eliminate the word busy from my like verbiage of, or vocabulary. Cause I, I think mentally that just like really messes with my mind that I'm like, I'm not doing actual like meaningful, like busy just to me, it sounds like I'm not doing meaningful work necessarily. So I try to get rid of that phrase. And if you're, if you're like a doctor that's in, interested in, in real estate and you know, you're practicing, it's going to seem busy, but you know, your, your time will be filled up, but it's going to be meaningful work. So mm-hmm. I think that's important. And then also I'm a big advocate of this, um, focusing on sleep. This is from somebody that used to sleep four hours a day. That's me. Um, and I've really shifted my mindset and trying to get a morning routine, this miracle morning, this whole idea of mm-hmm. that. And I think that that to me has been game changing and continues to pay dividends that uh, that I think people will that maybe maybe separates successful from not successful, but that's what I'm that's what I'm striving for. Incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots of phenomenal advice there. And, uh, and thank you. I, I think about James Clear's book, uh, Atomic Habits, right? And he mm-hmm. talks about yeah. the ice cube and you're looking at the ice cube and the temperature's going up and you don't see any difference. But then all of a sudden, rapidly, the ice cube starts to melt once you get to a certain degree. And so I think that that's a really great analogy for real estate. You know, you might see a few changes, but it it does take a little bit of time. And then all of a sudden that snowball effect starts to happen, mm-hmm. you know, a couple years in, and now you have so many properties and you're 1031ing and then all of a sudden you realize, holy cow, the progress I've made, even though I didn't necessarily see it right then, I made so much progress. And I'm sure in a couple of years, just, you know, these post offices get to fruition, it's going to just be that snowball effect for you. Well, just in a couple of years, right? He's developed an expertise mm-hmm. in post offices so that we're sitting here on a podcast talking about it. So it's awesome. Yeah. yeah I know in the future. Yeah. I, I mean, that's like the next goal is, is doing 1031 exchanges. You can do that post offices. Um, the appreciation has been just like all across the board is, you know, it's been really good. I mean, I'm just, I was just looking at the numbers for just appreciation, you know, the, the, this one post office went up 70%, the other one went up 40%. It's crazy. Like it's, uh, you know, I didn't even factor that as part of my underwriting is more of the cash flow. but, um, but yeah, time will tell it's been three, four years since that, but yeah, that's, it's a, it's a long haul. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, George, for being with us today and sharing your story. Um, for people who want to get a hold of you, where should they be going? To your podcast? You know, yeah, the podcast um, Rockstar MD. You know, I've got a couple episodes up. I have a, about ten or so more that are ready to fire. Um, and um, so, Rockstar MD on podcast, and then also on Instagram, Doctor Chaucer. Those are the best places to find me. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed this a lot. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.